Oh God, we just want to lift up Rosie to you tonight and all that she has to say. And we just bless all that she has prepared in front of you and that we all have hearts and ears to hear what she is saying and what you are saying through her, Lord. Thank you for this amazing Wahini and all that she brings. We pray in your holy name. Amen. Amen. Thank so yeah, I guess um, uh, I should introduce myself first off. So hey, I'm Rosie. Um, I come from the AYM community. Um, yeah, that's my crew. Yeah, and um, uh, so I live up in Karori um, with um, a few people here. Actually, all my flatmates are here. That's nice. Um, yeah, and so we. Um, AYM is the Anglican Youth Movement. We live in intentional community houses, um, kind of scattered around Anglican churches around um, Wellington and um, Palmy and the Hunt and Porirua and Wanganui. And so we're kind of all spread out. Um, and yeah, I have the immense pleasure of being the, the youth leader up in um, up at St Mary's in Karori. Um, yeah, so it's, um, just a bit about me. I've been around Blueprint a little bit, so I'm sure I'm um, maybe a familiar face to some of you and maybe some not. Um, but uh, just before we dive into um, the scripture, I just wanted to put out there, I uh, actually utilise some of my uh, English literature skills in this, so my BA degree is no longer useless. Um, so I just... Thank you! Thank you! Yeah, yeah, uh, all that debt will be uh, good for youth work, you know? Um, <laughs> Talk. <laughs> 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 Better be good, eh? <laughs> um, yeah, cool. So um, we're we're following the seasonal guide. So I'm sure a bunch of you will have been um, kind of talking about um, about this passage um, throughout the week and gathering together. Um, but um, I'll just start by reading it. So it's Galatians three uh, twenty three to twenty nine. Before coming of this faith, we were held in custody under the law, locked up until the faith that was to come would be revealed. So the law was our guardian until Christ came that we might be justified by faith. Now that this faith has come, we are no longer under a guardian. So then in Christ you are all children of God through faith. For all of you who are baptised into Christ has clothed you yourselves with Christ. There is neither Jew nor Gentile, neither slave nor free, nor is there male and female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. If you belong to Christ, then you are Abraham's seed and heirs according to the promise. Um, so um, this reading kind of shows a shift in the early church between um, between those um, who have spent their life kind of being law-abiding kind of Jewish citizens and um, and earnestly kind of following the law, upholding the Ten Commandments, and um, and kind of upholding this legalistic kind of faith that they've got, um, and it's. Um, then kind of combining with a bunch of Gentiles who have now been given the Holy Spirit as well and been given um, this oneness in Christ and in faith. And it's a melding of that two, those two groups. Um, just before the passage in Galatians 3.5, it says, So again I ask you, does God give you his spirit and work miracles through you by the works of the law or by your believing what you've heard? Um, so this idea of the status quo upheld by generations and generations of um, Jewish people is being really challenged. Um, there's the safety and security in maintaining, um, having an in and an out of God's favour. Um, that the, the Jewish people had their God, who is the God of the Jewish people, and favoured them. 
and there were those who weren't in that favour. Um, but now um, there's this av- availability to all, that this God is now a God for all, who sacrificed for all. And, um, and this marks this real shift in the identity of the church um, because it's this melding of the in and the out. Um, and by God's grace, they're kind of welcomed into family together and into a kingdom where they're equal. Um, and that question, I think, is pretty challenging for us, right? Does God give you his spirit to work miracles through you by works of the law or by believing what you've heard? So I really want to focus on that, believing what you've heard. Um, what does it look like if we actually believe what we're hearing here? What does it look like if we believe that um, ourselves um, and others are children of God? How does that change how we view ourselves, how we view God, and how we view those around us? Um, which kind of very helpfully fits into a, a kind of three-point sermon. Um, <laughs> look at that magic. Um, so the first one is, how does this change how we view ourselves? If we have this um, identity as, as children of Christ and um, co-heirs in the kingdom of God, how does that change how we view ourselves? Um, how does that impact this identity that we have? Um, what would it look like for us to actually treat ourselves like children of God, like beloved sons and daughters? Um, so those of you who might have children or um, have nieces and nephews or children that you um, live with or are close to, um, for me, I think of my, my young people in my youth group. And, um, and I think about when, um, when they tell me something about themselves that's kind of talking themselves down or um, when a young girl in my youth group will say that she doesn't think she's pretty or beautiful. And I just get this feeling of I want to shake them and make them believe that they are as beautiful as I see them. And it's like you are talented beyond measure and, and wonderful. And I kind of just like, how can I make them believe it as deeply in their bones as I think it? And I can't help but think that that's how God kind of views us sometimes, right? That why don't you, who I see is so beautiful... Just God just wants to shake us and make us believe it as deeply as he does. Um, can you actually imagine how that would change how you viewed yourself? If you believed that deeply in your bones, that you were beloved by the creator of the entire universe, and that you were worthy. Um, that it's your birthright through the spirit of God um, to be a part of his kingdom. And he wants nothing else, um, he wants nothing else more then to believe when he tells you, this is my child in whom I'm well pleased. And that comes into it as well, this idea of baptism, right? We're told that um, for all who were baptised into Christ had closed yourself with Jesus. Um, And this stepping in, this taking up that identity that happens in baptism. And I don't know if some of you have been thinking about baptism or have done it yourself recently, um, but there is this owning of an identity that you have to take when you're rebirthed, right, into this new family that you're taking upon yourself that identity as a new person and as a child of God. Um, and that baptism is a really important part of that. Um, it's kind of outwardly choosing to change how you identify yourselves, change how the world might identify you. Um, and it's a rebirth into God's family. Um, this passage places it in a position of owning the identity you choose to centre who you are around a child of God rather than around your job or your role as a friend or a, or a sister or a brother or a daughter or a son or anything around that, but it's first and foremost a child of God. 
And, um, and I don't know if some of you that might be a step you don't need to think about or talk to people about, about what it, does it look like for you to be able to own that identity. Um, and we've been taught to build our identity around um, what others aren't. We're, we're built to build our identity around um, opposition. I'm this because that person isn't that thing. Um, I found this really easy to do um, when a bunch, of us, a bunch of us from kind of Urban Vision and AYM um, went to um, India at the end of last year. And um, myself and another lady, um, Emily, I'm sure many of you will know her, we're both um, tall and white and blonde. And so we, we really stuck out. And, and those things were kind of became things that no one else there was. So it was quite easy to be, to identify as a tall, white, blonde person. And other people did as well, because um, frequently there was requests for selfies, um, which really got to my head quite quickly, because I thought maybe I could start charging for selfies. Um, and uh, apparently all it took was like a 10 rupees, and they just lost interest altogether, um, which is really not much at all. It's kind of 40 rupees for a New Zealand dollar. It's kind of less than a dollar, and still they didn't really want to pay that for a selfie with me, which was fine, you know. <laughs> My, my pride might have been hurt a little, um, but I was different. And it was really easy for me to identify as different because it was super obvious to everyone around me. Um, and our society teaches us to build ourselves on that. Um, and, and the law in, this old, um, in the Old Testament and, and throughout this kind of pre-Holy Spirit to everyone, pre-Pentecost society, there was, um, the law taught that as well, to build your identity and what you were in opposition to others. Um, and I think, um, I think we're still taught that, really. Um, and and we've, uh, I think our generations have become quite good at that. Um, we're encouraged to figure out who we are and what role we're going to play in society. Um, and we build t- titles and labels and we adopt all these things around us and it ends up just putting barriers between us and people who don't also hold that. Um, these labels just kind of put up walls between people who don't also use that label. And um, these political, social, geographical barriers prevent us from living the identity that God has for us, and it prevents us from being able to see the identity God has for those around us too. So that's the first thing. How do we change how we view ourselves if we truly believe that we're all children of God? And the second thing is, how would we change how we view God if we truly believe that we're his children? Um, so uh, in the youth group that I'm running, um, there is um, this thing called Alpha, which I'm sure a few of you might heard. Um, they also do videos, and they do them for, for youth and youth groups. And we're running that through our youth group at the moment. It kind of tackles the big questions of, of church and of religion and of Christianity. And, um, and we're sitting in our, in our groups, and the video is playing, and they ask you kind of questions that you can tackle in small groups. And, um, and one of the questions they take out into the streets, you know, they've been interviewing people from all over the world, and, um, and they ask them what they think um, Christianity is about. And all of these people on the streets, some of them Christians, some of them not, from all over the world, and um, predominantly what comes up is that it's about kind of following rules or um, making sure you don't stuff up, being a good person, following the Ten Commandments. It was a thing that few people knew about. Um, but it was that thing constantly of, um, of kind of the strictness of rules and following them or you've messed up in God's eyes. And I think that that isn't actually a foreign idea to us in the church either. That's not just kind of people on the street. I think that's still something we hold. And what this passage shows is this move from the law being the guardian of us to 
relationship and accessibility with a God that loves us. And that the move from this legalistic concept to a concept of relationship has to really deeply impact how we view God. That it can't be this legalistic, rule-abiding faith, but that it has to be about relationship with our creator. Um, the idea of kind of a legalistic guardian um, I'm an apathetic babysitter potentially is maybe an easier way to look at it um, but actually the parents kind of come home and it's not about following the rules of the babysitter and kind of getting into bed at the right time but you're now in relationship with the parent um, and that, that, that is a real difference in relationship that's a difference in dynamic um, relationship is to know and be known by another person So this invitation to be in Christ and to be in a relationship with him, to know his character, to know his voice, to know his works and to know his kingdom, has to change how we act. Um, It's a relationship to be known by God. That it's not this kind of one-way, unrequited love, but it's also to, um, to allow God to know us deeply and to kind of tear down some of those barriers that we might be holding between us and God just as we have to tear down those labels that hold us back from relationship with other people. We have to tear down those labels that we might hold that will prevent us from having that knowing depth of relationship with God as a parent, as a not this apathetic babysitter of following the rules. Um, if we truly believe that we are children of God, then there is something in us that longs for relationship and connection with him. So that's the second thing. And the third thing, how would we change how we view others if we truly believe that they are the children of God as well? And I think this is um, one of the biggest challenges for the early church was this thing of of the other and the people that were unlike us. Um, They were were built around differences and built around how they were unlike each other, but this this passage comes to a challenge between the us and the them. Um, And just as Jesus did, he calls the church to live a life where you hang out with the people that you don't necessarily like or the people you don't necessarily have anything in common with at all and to spend time, but more so than just kind of tolerate, be family with those people. To be family with those people that you don't like or have nothing in common with or don't get along with. I think that's a huge challenge that we find it quite easy to welcome people into our lives and be in that kind of relationship where you're known and to be known. But that's easy to do with people you like and people you have things in common with. But when they're not people you have anything in common with or people you like at all, then this is a lot harder. It's a lot harder. Jesus did it though, so I guess it's worth doing, right? And I'm reading this book at the moment, um, Just Mercy by Brian Stevenson. I don't know if many people have read it. It's really highly recommended. It's got like um, Desmond Tutu. It's on the quote on the front cover. So you know it's like a quality book then. Um, And um, so I read it, picked it up at a bookstore and started reading it. And um, this guy is a a lawyer in in the US. And he works predominantly with people who, um, who are on death row. And he's kind of an advocate for kind of getting rid of um, kind of capital punishment, but he also um, kind of works in the reality of what it means to be in that situation. And at the very beginning of his book, he tells a story about him being a young law student going in to visit a guy on death row. Um, and all he had to do, um, he was working kind of as a uh, paralegal little you know, firm, and he, all he had to do was go in and tell this guy that he wasn't going to be executed that month. That was the whole conversation. He was told he had an hour to go in. The guards were kind of very strict, but you only have an hour to talk to him. 
and he was like, I don't even know how I'm going to fill that hour. All I have to tell him is that he's not dying this month. Like, and I don't even know how I'm going to do that, but I can't see that being a long conversation. But he gets into this conversation with the guy, and he tells him, you know, you're not going to end up dying this month. And um, the guy who was really tense, um, his name was Henry, and he kind of eased up, and he just started talking. And they, um, they just kept talking. Um, and they found out that they were the same age. And they were kind of both African-American men. And they talked about um, Henry's family. And they talked about music, and they talked about sport, and they talked about um, things that were important and things that weren't. And they talked about um, the upcoming trial. But what they um, didn't realise was that they talked for three hours. And that the guards hadn't even noticed that they'd been in there that long and kind of came in with a big rush and kind of ushered the guy out and tied his handcuffs on even tighter because the guard was annoyed they'd been in there that long. And, and all of a sudden, Brian had this human connection to this guy. That although kind of one is a lawyer, one is on death row, and he, um, he was guilty, you know, he was there for a reason. Um, but there was this humanity and this connection that once they put apart the two labels that might have most identified them, one as a guilty man, one as a lawyer, once they'd put those apart, there was humanity and connection that they found. And they had lots in common and they had lots to talk about and they built a friendship. And Brian went back a whole bunch of times to go visit him. Um, and he was one of the only people that did. And I think that's a real picture of what happens when we put aside labels for long enough to see a human on the other side of them or behind them, um, there's this commonality that he was able to find when he put aside things that might have otherwise been barriers between people. Um, and that identity of being a child of God is available to everyone. But that's not just something that we can own and something that we can connect us to God as a parent and as a loving creator, but it's also something that everyone owns. That's an identity that's accessible to everyone. Um, that was accessible to Henry in the prison cell. And it's accessible to everyone. It's accessible to Donald Trump, like it or not, right? That he is a child of God as well. And that's when it becomes really hard, when the people we have such opposition to, and the people we might not like or get along with, also have the ability to be beloved and, and fathered, by the God who created heavens and earth. And I think um, we have to live our lives in a way that will help others see and feel the belonging they have to the, to the kingdom of God and to the family of God. Because we're not doing anyone any favours by kind of continuing those barriers. Um, and we're not actually able to live into the reality of what it looks like to all be children of God, to be siblings under one creator. Um, like the early church, we can't have to get over ourselves. We can't keep up barriers about who God is for and who God is against, who the church is for and who the church isn't. Because it's, um, we must accept that the relationship and identity for us is one that's available to everyone. Um, Jesus spent his time with all the wrong people, all the people that he didn't really have much in common with and that all of the disciples hated, kind of didn't get along with them at all. Um, were quite bitter. So Jesus hung out with um, traitors and prostitutes and terrorists and oppressors. Um, and if our church was filled with those people, as well as the dispossessed, the lonely and the lost, if our churches were filled with the people with nothing in common, 
but their identity in Christ and a belonging and a work for God's kingdom on earth, then I think we might be doing something right. Um, There's no denying that there's not a challenge in this um, to change how we view ourselves, to change how we view our relationship with God and to change how we view the people around us. It's hard to change. Um, But we are all children of God through faith. For all who were baptised into Christ has clothed yourself with Christ. There is neither Jew nor Gentile, neither slave nor free, nor is there male and female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. So um, I'm going to pray in a second to kind of wrap up. But um, I'll leave a little bit of a um, little bit of time of silence afterwards, a couple of minutes, where we can reflect and and try and figure out what of those is kind of the biggest challenge, or the biggest thing that stuck out to you, um, and to just really think about that, and um, and let God speak to you through that. Um, God, thank you for um, thank you for your love, and your um, your whānau that you invite us into. Thank you that you um, have places where we may all be one and all be equal. And I pray that um, as, we, as we kind of reflect upon these ideas and these challenges, that you might help us to see um, where we can change how we view something. That you might give us um, love for ourselves and the ability to find our identity in you, first and foremost. Um, I pray you help us to see you Um, not as a legalistic, kind of disappointed guy, an apathetic babysitter, but as um, a parent who loves us deeply and journeys alongside us. And I pray that you help us to view those around us, even those we don't like or don't get along with, um, the way you view them and with love. sharing. Um, Sweet. Well, um, shall we all jump to our feet? Um, For those of you who are new here, um, we read a little liturgy before we start worship, just to remind us um, exactly why we worship. Um, So I will read the fine print and the bold we'll read together. So, Father, you know each of us deeply. We worship you to remember who we are. You bring us together as your body. We worship as one people committed to God. You have overcome death through the cross. 
We worship to the name of God and to the Lord. Amen.